And we're back with the Hammer Podcast. That's right, friends. The moment you've all been waiting for. We are back in the saddle and ready to go here in biblical Rio Linda. That's right. We take complicated theological matters and bring them down for all of us normal folks to understand. And you know the way we do that? It's with half of our theological brains tied behind our back just to give the Arminians a fighting chance. chance. That's right, that's right. So, today as we begin... Hardball stinks, hardball stinks. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, in other news, as we begin, what is it that we intend to cover today? Well, I'll let football go for right now. We know you're in great mourning because the... The bird doesn't fly. Yes, I'm, as some I'm will say. a series on hell right now. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, what we want to do today, hopefully, is uh, get a start on amillennialism and, you know, kind of a basic definition and then get into uh, their understanding of the book of Revelation. And then we will have our Inquisition and... Uh, and we will talk about amillennialism the next time as well. <clears throat> a couple kind of, we'll say, exegetical issues that I think they have. All right, yeah, good, good. <clears throat> so, And again, remember, this is eschatology and everyday life, so w- where we want to get when we're all said and done, and we're taking a while to get there, but when we get there, I want to show that no matter... What our nuances are in eschatology, we, we should be standing together in the public square. So by the time we're done this, and there's all this mania going on around us about the next election and Wait, all there's that. Wait, no, this is an election year? <clears throat> yes, I <laughs> hope that's not news to you. But, you know, hopefully it will help us all think through some of those issues. No, and I think that's good because, you know, as you listen to the chatter, right, on the— yes. The internet, a lot of people want to make it that only one eschatological view will engage the culture, and all the others just kind of want to run and hide. Right. Even though anyone that knows just a little bit of church history and even recent church history in the last 100, 150 years would see that there are you know men and women who have held all three of these primary views who were very involved. Right. Uh, and then you had others who held all three of these views that were not involved and kind of took the other side. Run and hide. So the idea that, you know, your millennial view or your view of eschatology necessarily lends itself to no participation or a lot of participation in the public square, I, I think is a little misguided. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of what we I, I want to show by the time we get to the end of this, but we need to understand these primary views and what's happening and yeah. all of that before we get there. No, nah, that's right. I think that's good. Okay, look, I think we need to have a moment of silence for the Ravens. All right, that was long enough. Let's go. <laughs> all right. As we, um, as we dive into it, could you just begin with what you appreciate about all millennialism? Yeah, well, there's a lot I appreciate about all millennialism you know, as a system, and then uh, and then amillennialist brothers and sisters are having Christ as well. Uh, but, you know, many great men and women 
uh, of the faith in church history and even today fit into this category. They would be, you know, they have their different nuances, but they sure. would be more or less uh, amillennial in their approach. Uh, but I appreciate, by and large, their stance for scriptural authority mm-hmm. and, and integrity. Uh, they, their hermeneutic uh, may be a little bit different uh, than than mine in some areas, but uh, they, you know, uphold God's word as being inspired, inerrant. And uh, they're right there with us in that fight with for the integrity and authority and sufficiency of God's word. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate their emphasis. Uh, typically, they have a, a millennialist will have a, a great emphasis upon Christ and His rule. Uh, in other words, you know, keeping the kingdom of God from a, a worldly uh, ideal of a kingdom. Mm-hmm. But keeping it very much not about us so much as about Christ and His role, and uh, and I very much appreciate that emphasis. Yeah, no, that's good. And you know, as you, you know, if you're following along here and you're listening to some of the others talk about this, it's so easy for the discussion over people's eschatology to end in caricatures and personal attacks. Just you, you know this. Rather than seeing the positives, right, and celebrating each other's yep. brothers in Christ, and then dealing with the text, right, because we all believe that the text means something. So, what does it mean? And yep. what view right. stands the test of time? I just appreciate the the positive way in which we can address these issues. Yep. So, as we move, right. as we charge ahead, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of wood to chop, as some would say. Could you give us a definition of amillennialism? Yeah, sure. And, and with all, as with all the views, you know, you're gonna someone's gonna find a problem with this definition. Every time you read a a somebody writes a new book, uh, and it's about premillennialism, they you know tweak a definition. It's about postmillennialism, they tweak a definition. It's about amillennialism, they tweak a definition. Right. Yep. So. So it's impossible to have this discussion where everyone listening says, "I agree with that. That's right." You know, um, so it's we have to bear that in mind. But in general, okay, in in short, amillennialism is the view that sees the thousand-year millennial kingdom as taking place now, and it is spiritual in nature. Okay, now it is often said that amillennialism or amillennialists do not believe in an actual millennial kingdom, hence the ah, right? Yeah. To negate millennial. However, some amillennialists will uh, really oh, get yeah, angry they, at that, take you take to task. They take great offense. They take great offense. And they'll say, no, that. no, wait a minute. We, we, that's not really true. We, we do believe in a millennial kingdom. Uh, so I want to make sure I state that, that, that many millennialists would say, no, look, we, we do believe in a millennial kingdom, but we believe it is not at all on earth, right? But but it is spiritual. But just because it's spiritual does not mean that it's that it's not real. Mm-hmm. Okay? So in short, uh, millennialism takes the thousand-year millennial ca- uh, kingdom, and they say, look, it is taking place now between the two advents, First and second coming of Christ. So it's taking place now, and it is spiritual in 
nature. Okay, so the post-millennialist mm-hmm. also says that the millennial kingdom is now, correct? Yes, yes, good point. Yeah, absolutely. So then what... What's the difference? If they're both saying it's now, well, what's yeah. the difference? Well, there's a very big difference, uh, and here it is. The, the post-millennialist sees that the kingdom has been real tangible here on Earth. Right. Just, you know, so the post-millennialist agrees with the pre-millennialist that the, it's tangible that the and kingdom real. will be on Earth. Yeah. Post-millennialist just says, or uh, uh, pre-millennialist says, look, it's not now. The post-millennialist says, look, it, it is now, and and it is... It's not just a boom, it comes at once and it's all here, right? But it is progressing, as we talked about with post-millennialism. So, so they say, look, it's a real tangible earthly kingdom that is in progress now. You know, Jesus established it upon his first coming, and, uh, and it's on earth, and the progress continues until the Lord comes to a Christianized world. Whereas the amillennialist sees the millennial kingdom as being now between the two advents of Christ, okay? Right. But again, it is spiritual in nature. So to look for an earthly kingdom uh, would be misguided uh, in 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 their view. Okay. So, but but again, it's important to point out that that they're going to say no. I there's a real kingdom. It's just just spiritual in nature. Right. Um, and and that's kind of where they'll where they'll land on that. So that's the difference, big difference, between post-millennialist and, uh, and amillennialist. Okay, good. All right, so just for some context and contrast, mm-hmm. the premillennial view sees the millennial kingdom as still future. So then what we have, just for a little bit of a summary, the post-millennialist is saying that the millennial kingdom began during Christ's ministry on earth or, you know, his death, and it will Mm -hmm. continue until the second advent, the second coming of Christ. The amillennialist is saying that the millennial kingdom began with Christ, Mm -hmm. just like the postmillennialist does, but it is not on earth, rather it's spiritual, maybe in heaven. Yeah, spiritual in nature. Yeah, spiritual in nature. Then... The pre-millennialist is saying that the millennial kingdom has not yet begun, and it will begin upon the second advent, the second coming of Christ. For the most part, typically, yes. You know, yeah. when we get to premillennialism, we'll talk more about uh, the, the nuances of how they talk about what we've been talking about in our Matthew series. Of, right, right. You know, the kingdom being inaugurated and. And kind of beginning, but it, its ultimate consummation is, you know, the thousand years, and and so, but but generally speaking, yes, uh, a premillennialist is saying, look, that the kingdom will not begin until the second coming, when then Christ will establish the kingdom. Right. So yeah, so th- those are you, you got it. That those are good short. Uh, synopsis of each, and and of course we also have the reign of Christ with each one of these views, which we're going to look at in more detail once we finish reviewing all three of them, because right. you really need to kind of understand all three of them, then we can, with a basic understanding of all three of them, maybe even more than a basic, I'll, yeah. I'll say advanced, if you're listening to this by the time we get there, right? And, and then what we'll be able to do is then talk about kind of where they fit the reign of Christ in and the nature of it, yeah. and, and so forth, because... You know, in general, 
just to give a little tease, you know, in general, the post-millennialist sees Christ as reigning right now from heaven over an earthly kingdom that is progressing upon earth, okay? Right. Uh, while the amillennialist sees a spiritual reign, because again, it's not earthly, yeah, right? It's not so, earthly. So they're going to say, look, it's a spiritual reign, you know, in the hearts of believers and or departed saints reigning with him in heaven, okay? Right. Then we have the premillennialist that's going to say, well, look, no, this is a future kingdom, therefore it's a future reign on earth, uh-huh. okay? Uh, but there exist many nuances within all of these, and we'll cover it in a little more detail uh, down the line, and it'll yeah. make more sense to us, I think, when we get to that point. Well, and I think it's good. you got to have some context to just talk about the finer points yes. without any context of what the major sure. views generally say. You know, you really don't have anywhere to fit anything that we would say. Yeah, that's right. So building out the context is going to be helpful yeah, as we discuss right. things in the future. Now, before we get into the amillennialism in a little more specific depth, yeah, we this where we are now is actually kind of you're ahead of that in our study <laughs> in Matthew, and you've uh, been saying yeah, well, right here because we're we're yeah. right in the the throes of Matthew, and you've been saying that you think all three of these views miss on some points, but that they hit right. They they make right. the land they land accurately on some points. Yeah. Could you just elaborate that a little bit before we move on? Well, yeah, on? sure. And we're going to, you know, we'll have much more to say about this uh, probably on Sunday mornings, right? But, but yeah, I, I think, again, you know, the, the post-millennialist, you know, when he, when he says, look, there's, there, there's something of God's kingdom here and now, I agree. Yeah. And, and I think there are, I mean, when Jesus says... You know, I, I'm not going to say that when, when John comes and says, kingdom of heaven is at hand, you know, repent, kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus says, repent, kingdom of heaven is at hand, that that needs to, must mean right now, because James uses that same word for at hand, which can also be translated near, mm-hmm. to speak of the second coming. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we're not at the second coming. Uh, Peter uses that same word for the end, for, uh, for the end of right. all things. Well, we're, we're not... We're not there, right? So, uh, so you, you could. So I don't look at that statement and say because he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it must somehow be here right now, right? Because it doesn't have to mean that. Now it can. That word can mean it's 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 a week from now, or it's right here now, mm-hmm. or it can mean obviously that it's a good ways from now, right? Like how James uses it. But when Jesus comes and says, "Look, if you see the Son of Man," right? I forget the exact title he gives himself there in chapter 12 uh, of Matthew, but he says, if you see, you know, him here, and he is, you know, and, and I'm casting out demons, right, then you, you you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So if the kingdom, you know, has, if Jesus says come upon you, then then I think it's fair to say that there's some Sense in facet which... of the kingdom here, okay, yeah. right? Um and then, you know, with amillennialism, I like their emphasis on the spiritual aspect, and I do think there's a spiritual facet to the kingdom. And then the premillennialist, you know, kind of looks for the future and says, hey, there's something in the future, and I think that's true, too. Right. Uh, so, you know, my, my caution would just be, you know, again, uh, amillennialists want to take Revelation 
the, the Revelation 20 millennial kingdom and, and I think force it into the here and now. And this results in some questionable exegesis and revelation, and we're going to be talking yeah. about that in coming weeks. But then you have post-millennialists who also want to see the Revelation 20 millennial kingdom as being here and now, right? Uh, and this results in questionable exegesis, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, then, then you have, uh, you, you know, premillennialist who some who... They don't want to see any of the kingdom right now. And they say, hey, it's all this Revelation right. 20, you know, millennial kingdom. So, so to summarize, you know, what I'm positing is that if we recognize that the current aspect or facet of the kingdom is not to be confused with a future facet, most specifically as mentioned in Revelation 20, then much of the exegetical problems fade away. And this is where we will eventually get in our study. But remember, our goal is to follow above any systematic man-made ideals to follow Scripture, mm-hmm. right? right? That's what we want to do. I'm not even here trying to push any of our hammerheads to believe, you know, one view over the other. I want them to study. Right. Think about the text. Right. What to does think it about say? the text, to study it, and and to really, you know, understand what you're even talking about with all of this takes typically a lot of years and, and a lot of reading, and I'm trying to kind of dwindled that down for them, but they're still going to have to do their own reading and study, but uh, but hopefully this will help us all. I, I know I know it's sharpening me just as I talk about it and go through it, and I'm learning. Yeah. Now, it's a fascinating point just to think about, you know, the kingdom having facets to it, like a diamond, and there's other mm-hmm. there's other theological things that we believe that have facets to them as well, yeah, good so point. it doesn't yeah. seem like a foreign biblical concept. No, no. Um, but if we go back to the amillennialism, then we're saying that the the amillennialist teaches that there's a spiritual kingdom mm-hmm. that is going to take place now. And is it when we talk about the millennial kingdom, are they in are they in reference to what we see promised to David that mm-hmm. the Messiah would reign on the throne of David? Is that the kingdom that they're talking about is spiritually yeah. happening now? Well, uh, y- yes. Um. They're just they're gonna spiritualize it to a degree, right? Because everything's spiritual. Post millennialism is gonna say, well, you know, he's fulfilling that right uh, now, you know, right. in heaven. Then of course, premillennialists gonna say, well, it's gonna actually be, you know, on earth, literal. So we're gonna get into all of the all of the nuances because there's a lot of nuances there as to how the actual Davidic promise relates to his reign. Right in the kingdom now, and and not everyone across the board, not all amillennialists are completely agreed on it. Postmillennialists or premillennialists, you know, there, there's well, for the most part, premillennialists are agreed. Right, uh, but there's a lot of nuances there. We're going to get into that, you know, once we get through uh, the next couple weeks and looking at amillennialism and premillennialism. And I think, and and I think it's fascinating to think about all this, though. Yeah, that's good. All right, so we'll if we ref. You know, you've referenced post-millennialism. We've talked about the significance yeah. of the date of Revelation. Yes. Right? Have, it's, right. you know, some people say, oh, it doesn't matter. But, you know, there's a lot of significance put on Revelation being written before 70 A.D. Mm-hmm. if you're right. going to maintain the post-millennial view. Um, is there a similar issue that the amillennialists have with the date in regards no. to Revelation? No, not at all. Uh, they th- This is one area 
one of the rare areas where uh, an amillennialist, right, and premillennialist w- would agree. They they have no issue with the date of Revelation. It could be, you know, it could be 40 A.D. It could be 95 A.D. It doesn't matter for their view. It's only the postmillennialists that must have Revelation written prior to 70 A.D. And I will point out most amillennialists that I've read, I've not read all of them. Uh, they would agree with the later date that we laid out under Domitian's reign. So Right. Well and then so the the amillennialist, mm-hmm. like the premillennialists, also see that the world is getting worse, not better, before the second advent of Christ's return. Yes. Right. That would be another area where amillennialists and, and premillennialists would agree is that the world is not going to get better and Christianized before Christ comes, as the postmillennialists would suggest, uh, but that it will get worse. Now, there are, you know, varying degrees of how bad it will be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, different beliefs on how bad it might be, but but yeah, they, they see it as getting worse. So then what's, what's the exegetical issue that we might have with the amillennialists? Yeah, yeah, well... Again, it would be primarily with their view of the book of Revelation. I guess if I had to narrow down my exegetical issues with amillennialism, not just mine, but you know others, uh, it, it would be how they handle Revelation and the insistence of a purely spiritual kingdom. Now, they might take exception with the word purely. You know, and say it's ninety nine percent spiritual. Okay, right, so right, again, right. it's it's hard to to speak in terms that everyone will agree with you, right? But uh, but that would be the major issue would be how they handle Revelation. Right. Well, okay. So let's begin with their understanding of Revelation. Yeah. Like, okay. we're, let's flesh that out. Sure. For the hammerheads that were like, okay, look, going to the text. You know, this yeah. view sounds positive, yeah, but. Textually, Revelation, they have some issues there, so what are they? Yeah, so uh, again, there are various nuances, right, among amillennialists, so I can't speak for all of them, but typically an amillennial approach to Revelation sees the recapitulation of the church age. Is someone's head getting cut off? I mean, what? <laughs> no, no. Re- recapitulation. Oh, not decapitation. No. Okay, no, no. recapitulation. Recapitulation. All right, now. So the perpetual surrender. Yeah, something like that. So look, so so they're going to look at it. They're going to say, well, the the book of Revelation gives us a recapitulation of the church age, right? The time in between the first advent and second advent of Christ. They're going to say the book of Revelation recapitulates this for us in in cycles. Right. So Revelation basically is summarizing the current church age over and over again. Yes. And it's it's like almost they don't believe the book of Revelation is future. It's all in the past. No, no. Uh, no, no, they're not. The, the, unlike uh, the post-millennialists. Right, because they're saying that... Right, they don't have to be... Uh, that, that preterism is not you know, as important to them, okay? Uh, they don't have to have all these events taking place in 70 AD. Uh, much of what they see is is future. In fact, more specifically, amillennialists will will say, look, there are seven cycles or seven recapitulations in the book of Revelation. So good in number. other words, seven I mean, seven's different, a good number. That's right. 
So it's kind of like Groundhog's Day, you yeah. know? You just kind of get the same thing. But no, they'll, they'll say, look, there's seven different cycles. I, I say seven, you know, uh, G.K. Beale, I mean, among others, is one example of a well-known amillennialist who kind of breaks it down in this way. But they'll say, look, you've got seven different cycles in the book of Revelation. All seven of them deal with the same age, the current age, mm-hmm. the church age. And of course, we haven't reached the end of the church age. So, so they, so they still, so they see a lot of this as still future. Yes, right, because the age but, hasn't ended yet. Right, right, and, and you know, for instance, and I'll try to speak slowly here for anybody that wanted to write this down. But you know, if you were to follow like uh, a typical outline that they would put out, they would say here are the seven cycles or recapitulations. They'd say chapters one through three, four through seven, eight through eleven. 12 through 14, 15 and 16, 17 through 19, and then the seventh and final cycle or recapitulation is 20 through 22, chapters 20 through 22. And again, each section would be dealing with the time from the first advent to the second advent, therefore they're—and it doesn't—they don't all repeat the same information. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's redundant, right? But they would say, you know, it gives us some new information too, so— so this is how they're this is how they're going to take it. Therefore, when we get to Revelation 20, right, we have the seventh time in the book of Revelation that we have the recapitulation of church history. So it's the seventh cycle where the okay, kingdom, right, cuz the, the 20 is where age. we see the millennial right. kingdom and so they're saying that's right. talking about the church age. Now, not all millennialists to my knowledge uh, would necessarily say there are seven cycles of this recapitulation. Right, right. But, I mean, but they will see Revelation 20 as a recapitulation. They would agree on that. They would agree that that is a recapitulation, yes. Okay, so, I mean, I guess someone could say that sounds fine, but what would be the exegetical problems or issues we might have with saying sure. Revelation 20 specifically yeah, well, is a Retelling church history. Yeah, I mean, to begin with, people point out, and I think rightly so, that it contradicts the outline that Revelation itself gives us, and it also contradicts some amillennial exegesis of chapter 20 itself. Right. All right, good. So let's talk about that outline for that you just mentioned, but no. hold on, Snurdly's got me in my ear here. He says we got to... Yes, yes, pay attention. We've got to uh, give a hat tip to our sponsors... And um, we want you to be. We want you to remember that the Hammer Podcast is sponsored by the Truth. It's better than the kisses of the enemy. Mm. Yes, yes. So, but okay. As we think on that, give let us know this outline that you're yeah. talking about. The okay, Revelation so, gives. Yeah. So the Book of Revelation, right? Chapter one, verse nineteen, famously says, right? John is instructed. Write therefore the things that you have seen. Those that are, and those that are to take place after this, right? So you have past, present, future, right? Mm-hmm. Things that you have seen past, the things that are now, in John's day, day. now, right? Yep. And those that are to take place after this, okay? Now, this seems to me to suggest that what we will read in the rest of the book of Revelation will be things which are, are, are past, things which currently are, and things that shall come. Right. So, I mean, that if 
if you're a normal person reading that like, verse, taking it at face value, yeah, yeah, taking it at face value, the normal reading that seems pretty clear. So how does a how does a retelling or recapitulation yeah. of a certain time period work with that outline of things past, things present, and things future? Yeah. Well, I, not very well, in my estimation. I mean, I, at that point, you would be forced to say that John is being told to do this in seven different cycles. Right. I guess that's not impossible. Yeah, I mean, I guess he could be telling right. past, present, future I, events seven times. I guess it's times. not possible, but there's nothing mentioned about this being done multiple times in multiple cycles, right? Uh, I So I think if we take verse 19 of Revelation chapter 1 in the, in the normal way, right. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't understand it the way they're understanding it. But, I mean, to be fair, others have taken it a different way. Sure. Um, so how would others propose... Revelation one nineteen be read yeah. or understood. Well, I, they would take it maybe at a more face value, uh, and they would say, "Look, if if we do this, we can trace this in the book, right?" For instance, John addresses the seven churches in chapters two and three, right? He speaks about how they were in the past. Yeah. Then he speaks about their current state, right? And then we continue to read through Revelation, and he speaks a lot about the future throughout the remainder of Revelation. But sure. I do want to be quick to say that we need to understand that he does not, when John speaks about the future in Revelation, he does not use a purely chronological order throughout the entire book. That doesn't mean you can't come to some chapters and say, hey, I think this is chronological, like some do with chapters 19 through 22, for instance, okay? Right. But I'm just saying that throughout the entire book, most specifically chapters 4 through 18, you can't necessarily say, even if it's talking about future events, that he's trying to be uh, technically chronological through those events. Right. Okay. So I just want to make sure that we... A moment of pause to say, yeah, that's not always the case. That that we clarify that. So, uh, you know, so I I think, think... that's important. Um, so, anyway, and look, yeah. here's something else, too. Uh, I think what makes it even harder to envision that John has seven cycles or recapitulations of the church area in view is the absence of the church throughout much of the book. Right. Okay, if, if memory serves me, the church is found some 19 times up through chapter 1, verse 1, up through chapter 4, verse 1, right? Some 19 times. Then church is mentioned in chapter... The only other time church is mentioned after chapter 4, verse 1, is in chapter 22, but there it's not speaking of the local church. It appears to be speaking of you know, all the redeemed right. versus just a local church. So, so that would mean that the first of the seven proposed cycles, chapters 1 through 3, uh, that you have the church all over it, mentioned all over the place, right? But then we're to suppose that the last five cycles don't mention the church once when it's supposed to be speaking about the church age between the two advents. Right. Okay, now, again, that's an argument from silence, right? But not every argument from silence is bad. Uh, So I just think it's something to think about. I mean, how do you talk about the church age that often and not mention the ecclesia? Right, I, I, it would it would it know. would feel unnatural in some ways that it would be yes. talking about something without ever referencing it. Right. Um, so you think the 
so you think the exegetical problem for the amillennialist is taking Revelation largely as a recapitulation or retelling of church history. Of the church age, right. Yeah, yeah. the church yeah, age. between the two advents, yes. And I just, I don't think that's the best way to take it. Uh, and let me add here, okay, that, that our purpose is to be intellectually honest in this series, right? So we'll soon be dealing with premillennialism in a couple weeks, and we're going to mention some exegetical issues that they have as well. So we're not—everyone's going to hate us by the time we're done. <laughs> we're going to be an enemy of all. That's right. We're going to be in witness protection That's by the right. time this thing is done. The hammerheads will have to—yeah, uh, yeah, they won't be able to hear us. we broadcasting from an undisclosed location. Yeah, we're going to have to get away for a while. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, so, anyway. Yeah, okay, good. Well, and you'd mentioned that there's— Two more major exegetical issues that we we do want to discuss in regards to amillennialism. Yes. Yes, but we'll have to wait until next time. And they're nothing new. It has to do with Satan being bound uh, and then the resurrection uh, in Revelation chapter 20. Well, uh, I, you know, the hammerheads don't want us to wait, but Snurdly yeah, demands it. Yeah, Snurdly says that we have to bring it to a close. So this transitions us to... The fan favorite, the Inquisition, and this is not, this is not the Spanish Inquisition, nor is it the Catholic Inquisition. This is the Hammerhead Inquisition. Inquisition. So, let me turn into the vault here. Oh, yep. Okay. All right. Whoa, whoa. I got papers everywhere. Just I got grab papers. That one. That one. Whoa. Okay. We got yeah, papers everywhere, yes, right but I have. Yeah, this looks like a good one. So I have here, in my formerly East Coast wing-stained fingers, uh, honey habanero, I think it might have been. It was delicious. But um, we have our question. And this is, okay, so this is from a hammerhead that is attends here and has been listening to our Matthew series. Um, in the Matthew series, the emphasis of the parables seems to be on Christ's current kingdom program growing or the church advancing okay yeah so if that's the case why should believers be active in politics or even vote everything's focused on the kingdom christ's kingdom so Mm. so why care yeah well that's in some ways that's what this whole series you know the podcast is is about uh, but that that is a good question, and it's a it's a question that uh, that that I do get often, and and in fact, uh, I'm thinking I might know which hammerhead put this in the vault. But we'll keep their name disclosed. That's right. We'll keep their name disclosed. That's but. right. But I think that the, I mean it's a good question, right? If if God's working on his current kingdom program, right, and the church is advancing, then, I mean, nothing's going to stop it, right? Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against right. the, him, his building the church. So why, then, should believers be active in politics, or should we be? Yeah, because, I mean— if Should we vote? Should we not, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to be able to give an answer that satisfies everyone. You know, I will just say that, you know, we have a responsibility. The results are always left up to God. And this is just—this deals with every part of our lives. Right. Right? I mean, I, a parent, 
you know, a parent is not just to sit back, you know, and say, well, God's sovereign and he's providential. Well, yes, he is sovereign and he is providential. So, you know, I'm just going to, I'll let him take care of my kids, you know? Yeah, and just do nothing. Do no parenting. Yeah, you know, no just be, it'll be all of God, you know. So, no, we, you know, you're, we're to follow Scripture, be obedient as a parent in this illustration, mm-hmm. right? Now, the result may not be what we want with our child. Maybe they don't end up following the Lord the way we want or what have you. Right. But the results aren't in our hands, right? And, and But God's looking at us based on how were, how were you obedient with that responsibility, mm-hmm. okay? And we can use just about any area of our lives and, and parlay that over, okay? And in the same way here, I would say that, you know, we're, we're responsible— uh, to, you know, vote as best we can. And keep in mind, too, that this question is going to look a little—the answer is going to be a little different to believers depending upon what era they live in mm-hmm. and where they live. Yeah, it definitely, where you live. You know, and that's part of the problem with, with Christians and politics and political involvement because, right, we, we, we go back to the New Testament— and we're comparing apples and oranges from the sense of we don't have a Roman Empire over us as citizens of the United States. Yeah, it's just in Davos. I mean— Yeah, right, right. <laughs> we have a republic. I know everybody keeps trying to get you to think we have a democracy, but we, we have a republic, right? And uh, so we, we have freedoms that not everyone in history has had, and those are blessings from God. So I don't think we should just eschew them. Right. Um you know, at the same time, I think a, a healthy discussion could be had as to, you know, okay, how active should we be and how active is too active? And mm-hmm. I think then then we also have to remember that God gives different calling in different people's lives. So while I think, you know, we all should vote as best we can according to Scripture to the glory of God, okay, for instance, in our society, there may be someone else who has time in their schedule. And they want to go and be a poll watcher right? during different elections, right? Whether it be the presidential election or whatever, right? To make sure there's no water breaks and <laughs> right. the counting has yeah. to stop for more Right, ballots. exactly. So look, that's if they want to do that, that's fine. And then if someone else says, well, I don't want to do that, I can't do that much schedule, that's fine too. And then there may be someone else who, a believer who is called to run for Congress or serve on a school board or something. And, you know, I don't think we should sit back and say, well, believers shouldn't do that. You know, they should. Maybe you're not called to do that. Maybe they are called to do that. So, so I think there's some things all of us should be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you can't answer this in five minutes. And, and hopefully, our, our series, by the time we get to the end of it, where we all meet in the public square post millennialist, amillennialist, pre millennialist, pan millennialist, right. new creation millennialist, all of us, where, where we all. Meet in that public square, we'll be able to discuss this hopefully a little more, and and hopefully we'll all be pretty much on the same page. So, yeah. but but I definitely don't believe we should just you know abdicate, right? Just kind of be like you know an Amish view or, or something or Quaker view of hey, we're just gonna this doesn't affect us, right? You know, and by the way, it's it's easy to to be Amish or Quaker when you're living in a country like we are, right? You know, try going. You know, try going to China, you know, or try going to one of these other countries 
uh, where you're just being killed, not left alone. You know, it's easy to come to, you know, it's kind of like I'd like to say to Mr. Quaker and Miss Amish, hey, do you realize what happened, how we even got this country to begin with and the formation of it and the blood that was shed yeah. and, so that you could have the freedom you have? Yeah, to Like, do like that didn't just happen. Yeah. Right? But anyway, but that's beside the point, too. So so I don't know that that, you know, really answers the, the question, but I would just say that that in, in nothing in our lives uh, should we just sit back, right, and and say, you know, hey, I don't no need to clean my house. Mm-hmm. You know, no need to ever get that septic pumped. What happens if you forget to get the septic? Nothing pump? will happen. Nothing will happen. No, well, <laughs> I thought maybe you had uh, some real life examples. I might have a real life example of it. Uh, yeah. The water is going to flow the other way. Yes, right? it comes back. The opposite back. way. And it's not it, just water. But anyway. It comes back. So you don't just sit back, right? And say, well, I'm not going to put any gas in my car. Try that. Right? I mean, we don't just, yes, God's sovereign. He's providential. But he also has given us responsibilities. And God wants us to be obedient and responsible. Yeah, good stewards of the things exactly, that he's given us. with whatever he's given us. And all of the results of all of that stuff is is left up to him. Right. Okay. So. Yeah, that's good. There yeah. You go. So, well, I mean, look, much more could be said on all these things. We will say more about some of the exegetical hurdles that our millennialism, our millennialism has in 168 hours. We'll see you on the other side. See you.